With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. And then Mahura backs up against the boards. He'll put his skate and stick up against the wall. Run out the clock. And the Gulls win tonight by a score of 4-2. They end the team's longest road trip in their five-year history going 4-2-1. And they seal it with a 4-2 victory against the Tucson Roadrunners. And an overall great performance by the Gulls. They dictated the play in the first two periods. And a desperate Roadrunners team could not come back on Kevin Boyle and the defense. Hello Goals fans, welcome to the final edition of the Goals cast for the 2019-2020 season. My name is Andy Zilch, I am with BJ McPherson, and the clip that you just heard was the Goals' final victory of the season and the final game of the season for the American Hockey League, as that was rounded out on March 11th in Tucson with the Goals' 4-2 victory. Now, BJ and I on this episode will talk about the whole season. We'll bring it all the way back to Irvine in September when the Gulls embarked on training camp, some obstacles that they overcame, and some key moments of the season. And finally, BJ and I, we will have some fun. We'll talk about some awards that we can hand out, unofficial awards, but why not? We'll have some fun. We'll discuss it, and we will bring some light to what this season was because it certainly deserves it and especially after that performance on March 11th. And then following, the season was put on suspension. And then obviously, we learned on Monday the 11th that the season would not continue and they put a cancellation to it. It was a tough pill to swallow. It was inevitable, I thought. But at the end of the day, still, what what this team had, what this team could have had, uh, even when the season was put on suspension, I... I figured there would be no way to recoup what the momentum was that this team had. Yeah, and if you think about it, I I believe there was people three, four weeks ago that thought the American League was already done. So I tip my cap. They stuck it out as long as they could to make this season happen, but it just doesn't come through. And with that, you know, we look back on the season, and you know as well as I do, I, I truly, this isn't any kind of gimmick in my mind, I believe the Gulls were really gearing up for a really good run uh, at the at the championship in the American Hockey League. Because I'll tell you, you know, with some great leadership and the way things, you know, as we know, up with the Ducks, you know, just not having the season they thought it was going to be, and that's what what happens, you know, when you start fresh again. Um, so the American League Gulls team is going to be really a strong team, and for a team to go a far away in the American League. You know, it doesn't usually help to have your team far down the stretch, your NHL team in, in, in the NHL. So you know as well as I do. It was I was getting ready for it. I thought the team was really building up. I, I, I just thought a lot of things were coming together. And uh, unfortunately, we are where we are. Well, let's go all the way back, all the way back to the beginning. Uh, I mean, training camp. And I, I won't sugarcoat a thing on this Gauls cast. I'm going to speak 
just truthfully, and I'm going to go at it. And as the season went on, I was more bought in like you were as well. But when we began, I thought this was going, I thought this was going to be a challenging season. I mean, when you look at last year, the players that were lost and the strides that Anaheim was trying to make with their prospects, I thought, well, it's going to be challenging because the roster could be always juggling. And the veteran group that we had, I'm not talking against it, but it was a large veteran group. I mean, if you remember, we were scratching, because of the veteran rule, three, maybe four guys a game those first two, three weeks. So I was like, man, this is, even before the first puck dropped, I thought this is going to be tough. And, and it was a tough start. And, you know, one thing that I really liked, and I think the reason why everybody bought in, is because the guy who first stepped up and said, I think I'm, I'm not doing the right thing here, was the head coach, Kevin Deneen. And I think that's what started to set us off in the right direction. Well, it just put him forefront and accepting what I, I believe wasn't him because the coach is only a person I believe, you know, it gives you instruction and stuff. In the first six games, Andy, I'll tell you something. I remember when you looked at me after the sixth game, ready for the seventh, and, you, and I could see it in your eyes, and you actually said to me, are we ever going to win a game? <laughs> and that seventh game, you know, and we had already talked about that, you know, they won that game, and I, and I agree with you. Having the coach step up like that, especially a coach of his caliber, and we go back, you know, there's coaches that haven't gone far in a, in a hockey career, and as far as Coach Deneen has gone, is something you have to give respect to. But then the way he coaches, and even the way he, he deals with the media, it's just different. Everybody's different, and the guys bought into him real early on. And when they caught on, I think one thing I disagree with you, even with call-ups and stuff, with the Ducks organization, with the Gulls, I believe there's pretty much one or two players that when they're not in the lineup this year made a, a big difference. But this team with the depth, talking about these veteran players, other than a guy like Sam Carrick, and he wasn't there for some games that the, the team did win. But, of course, when he was there, it made it a lot better. I just think this team in a whole was team tough through four lines six defensemen in goaltending, and Coach Kevin Deneen, what he did was he brought them together, I think, quicker than you and I thought it was going to be after the first six. Well, yeah, and, you know, if you remember in those six games, too, the thing that was so unfortunate was the way the bounces were going. They just, nothing, nothing was going the San Diego Gulls direction. And I think that was one thing that was also massively frustrating when we're sitting up in the booth and we're watching these games is no one was catching a break when they needed it. But then you get to that military appreciation weekend and you're playing a good Colorado Eagles squad and you sweep them. I think that that was when we're like, all right, now, now it's in the right direction. Let's get off and running. And another big thing I think people don't understand with the first six losses, and you remember this, it was two games and then you're off for a week. Two games and then you're off for a week. So when you go through those two games as a hockey player, it's like starting the season fresh again after a week off. So they're coming at it and they were coming at it, but I think sometimes a little bit too hard. And there's something to do that to a hockey player. Sometimes you can work too hard and it goes the wrong way. And I think just the way the scheduling was, yeah, the puck could have bounced the other way. They could have went 6-0. That's just not how it went. 
Well, one thing too that I'll I'll touch on, and then uh, we'll segue into the progression of the season. When you looked at the beginning of the year, and and this kind of reflects on on maybe guys getting chemistry, guys that left the team, like Kevin Waugh. Uh, you also had Kali Kosala, Ben Street left the team. Ben Thompson was gone. You also had the absence of Adam Cracknell. And then to go along with that, your captain from last year, he was also gone. So Jacob Magnus departed. Sam Steele went up to the NHL for the full year. And the defense really took the hit, too. Jake Dotchin, Andy Wolenski, Keaton Thompson, all those guys, Trevor Murphy, Andre Schuster, all gone. So it was really difficult for this club to catch on right away. But once they did... And as you said, there was no looking back, and they cruised. And then they accepted the, what their identity was going to be, too. And I think Kevin and Ian laid that out. And the veteran group, which, like I said, you know, at one point you had about nine veterans in that room. I think they stepped up, and even if they were playing or not, they laid it on the line. And they said, this is the way it's going to be. We're going to win some hockey games, and it's not going to be easy. Well, the way you just put it there with the amount of players from the year before that are no longer on the team, I go back and I look at the lineup. And I can just see the match, you know, for each player and the way they, you know, owned up this year. And guys from Justin Clues, uh, you know, uh, from a centerman to a winger. And then Chris Weidman back on the point. And then you got to remember guys like Blake Kietela, how he had kind of a strange year for them. And at the end, he was coming around. And Andrew Podorowski playing through the injuries he had throughout the season. You know, Yanni Hawkenpah, he was a player between the start of the season. I didn't know what to expect out of him, and I just thought he grew stronger. So for all the guys you talked about, and there's a ton of guys I haven't even mentioned, from Simon Benoit, again, the Troy Terry, and just the way he was able to play a point of game in the American League. You know, you think about some of these quality players that were able to take over from the year before. I think even younger, better, faster. That was the difference, and when we read these names, I'm hoping to see some of these guys back next year. Yeah, no, I mean, you're right about that, and I totally agree with you. I, I would love to see what would have happened in the crystal ball, but we're here. That's the facts that we got to accept. And when you look at this season, I, and I think the challenging thing that I was anticipating was how the defense was going to shake out because of how the core departed. But like you said, Chris Weidman, Yanni Hockenpah, two guys that have been around the block, uh, they certainly were a big cornerstone to this group. And, you know, they helped out the youngsters. And, I mean, look at Scott Moldenhauer. He was not playing in the beginning part of the year. And he was always penciled in on the last three months of the season. He was always in that lineup. So progression of guys, guys answering the bell, and then guys taking their leadership role and thriving. Yeah, and you can't go without talking about Anthony Stolarch and Kevin Boyle. And look what these two goalies did. And again, you got to lean a little bit towards, you know, Kevin Boyle, two years ago, he makes it to, you know, the all-star game. And this year, Anthony Stolarz is the representative. You know, 21-12 and 6 for the season. Anthony Stolarz, he made the defense look a lot better this season. Well, and then another thing, too, and this is every year I say this, and, and I, I want to beat the drum as hard as I possibly can. The Anaheim Ducks truly care about what's going on here in the American Hockey League. And, and we are lucky because I've seen organizations that couldn't care less. And when you get an acquisition late in December, 
like Chris Mueller, when you need a centerman desperately, and not only that, but a veteran centerman, someone who can help you out with some of those younger guys up front, I mean, that made a massive impact. Now, he didn't come in and he didn't light the world on fire right away. took him a little bit to get adjusted. But then when he did, he was an impact on and off the ice around the guys. Well, I can back you on that because the last uh, four years, it's what this club has done every time, at, you know, when needed. You pick up the big player, and that's what this, this organization has done. So I agree with you there, Andy, and they've done it year after year. Well, and then finally, you can touch on the, the acquisitions on the trade deadline when you need a little bit more depth and you can't go out and get veteran guys. They get Kyle Criscolo, who was a fantastic addition. I mean, he was a silent killer, in my opinion. I think he did exceptionally well. He answered the role that was given to him here in San Diego. And then, of course, Pearson on the blue line. BJ, you actually didn't see either one of those guys, nor did anybody in San Diego because they were acquired right before that road trip. But Pearson was working the power play, and Chris Colo is right there with Lundestrom on one of the most responsible 200-foot players. So I know you were watching him through AHL TV, and it's tough to kind of get a gauge on a player that way. But that just kind of shows a little bit more. You know, you needed a power play D-man. You needed another good guy in your own zone. The Ducks went out and helped out the goals. Well, again, the crystal ball, we go back, you know, a few months ago, and we're getting close to the trade deadline. And you and I kind of talked about it, and I made the comment to you, and I go, ah, oh, and you watch. I go, there'll be a trade made. I didn't know there was this many trades going to be made. The great thing is, we always grade the trades, me and Andy. And it uh, seems like the, uh, the the Ducks and the Gulls always get the winner. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't even know of a loss that we've had since I've been here, and it's just been fantastic to watch all these unfold and help the American Hockey League. And then, uh, you know, as we move through the season, uh, they they also papered a full line to us as well. So that's something else, too, that, that stung a little bit once all this went down was the potential to have a Max Jones, a Sam Steele. At the time, Yanni Hockenpah was up. Kiefer Sherwood was up. Uh, so, And then Brendan Gooley on the blue line. like that. That's an excellent presence that we would have had had we gone on. But, you know, it's just that, that depth. I, I think that's one thing that would have carried this team all the way should we have gone far. Well, you talk about that depth. And if uh, everything, the, the crystal ball had been still going here, and, you know, if the Ducks hadn't made it, you know, it looked like they weren't going, and you were talking about the players that were already penciled to come down here, think about making that lineup and how tough it would be for the coaching staff uh, of a job it would be, who are you sitting out? First of all, it's tough enough with the veterans, but there was going to be so much depth in that, that squad, and practices would be fun to watch. All right, now I want to get a little fun conversation going here, and, and, and if you have any ideas, you can throw them out. The first one that I want to have a discussion about, and I can go first because I might put you on the spot here, is an unsung hero. So if you don't have it, I'll go with mine. All right, go ahead. Okay, so my unsung hero is Alex Broadhurst. I think he was fantastic on the penalty kill. He was probably our sneakiest, best goal scorer that we had on the club. And he was, of course, fantastic in the defensive zone. So to me, I would give that award to Alex Broadhurst. Well, and the great thing, what you said about him is the way he really helped out and you know, some of the players on the team. And you and I know that Maxime Comtois, when they played together, it seemed to calm him down, Maxime Comtois. 
that you have a veteran player like that, when he adds that element to where you get your first and second rounder guys like that that are young players to calm down, you know, you got to be pretty good about that. I'm going to go with somebody who I think that they've gotten here. Uh, really, uh, this is their first full year. Take two years now. It's Keeper Sherwood. I think when Keeper Sherwood's in the lineup, for me, and I, I guess he's not really an unsung hero, but what I like about him is the way he's really stepped up. And when we get the TV games and they get the camera on him and stuff, he's one of those guys. I like guys that are always chirping positive, and he seemed to be one of those guys that's like, you know, you watch the way he plays and you like to simulate that, but when you see a guy like him giving the encouragement and stuff like that, for me, he's really stepped into that leadership role. This one is going to be a tough one for me to pick because I have three names that I'm thinking about. But most improved player from the beginning of the season till when it ended in early March. And for me, I, I, I'm going to give you my, my head vote, and that's Yanni Hockenpah. Uh, I think he came over and he was adjusting to the smaller ice, and it was a little bit difficult for him. But once you move through the season, and you and I looked at each other in the booth one game, and, and we said, like, all right, he's locked in. Because one thing I think that you and I were talking about once the season began is who's going to be that shutdown guy like Megna was last year? Who, who's going to answer the bell? And I think Yanni Hockenpah did, and he was a workhorse. And there was one point in time where he killed – uh, he was one of three players who killed a five-on-three for two full minutes, if you remember that. So to me, he gets that award. Well, I, I like that. The bear, the way he played out there, he played bigger than he was. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Believe me, and you can attest to it how big of a person he is. And I think his taking from playing over in Europe and remembering coming back and taking to the small right, I think he's a better player. And, and, and I like that pick with Yanni Hockenpah. But you know what? I got to go with, with a player called Isaac Wonderstrom. And the reason is, I'm not going to go to the stat. It's going to be all facets of the game. And I think this is a player we got to remember his age. At the start of this year, he was 19 years old or maybe just 20, and it was already his second year coming over from Sweden. Again, I think it's the way he plays without the puck and the defensive way he plays that he's a guy, I think, another 14, 15, 16 years, they're still going to be calling his name. Another guy who I was thinking about, I'll give two out there, was Scott Moldenhauer because of what I mentioned earlier, the fact that he was having difficulty cracking the lineup, and then he found himself as a regular. And the other one, I think, would be Max Comtois. And and we can touch on this a little bit extensively because he, it got to a point where it was clear that he could own this league physically and by point production. Well, you got to remember, too, the size of this 20-year-old. He got 24 points in 31 games, and I say he got 14 of those points in the last 10 of his 31 games. You're right, and I think, again, that was him calming down a little bit, the effect he was getting from the veteran players when you were able to talk to them. 
you know, and you, you got Alex Broders, like you talked about, in your ear, sitting beside you on the bus, things like that. Players relax. And he's one of those players, the longer you play in the season, I think he's only going to get better. Your MVP would be? Sam Carrick. Okay. I will go with Anthony Stolz. <laughs> <laughs> I, it, it, is well, between, it is between those two. I agree. And, and, and go ahead, give me your reasoning for Sam Carrick. Well, Sam Carrick, for me, the past three seasons, and I go back three seasons ago, and, and you hate it when I keep saying it, but he was one of those guys, things weren't working for him, but he wouldn't quit working. And then two seasons ago, the way he really emerged for me, and then this season, getting to see to be the captain of the team, didn't change anything in the way he played. Just because they put a letter on his shirt did not change the way he played. I think it really accelerated the way he played even more and better. You know, 43 points in 46 games on the season, plays all critical aspects of the game, taking face up. For me, he's a leader, and he's a great leader in the American Hockey League. I'll pick Anthony Stolarz, and I, I didn't really understand his presence off the ice until we actually went into quarantine. I think, of course, his play on the ice showed. And there was games that he saved for the Gulls, literally. And then also, as we got into quarantine, I, I asked a few players, like, who would you keep up with? Who, who have you gotten close to that you maybe weren't close to in years past? And a lot of guys said Anthony Stolars. It seemed like even though he was in the net, he was very active with communicating with players, maybe in the locker room, things that he might have noticed. And then also just keeping it light, too. And, and he's got a great personality, and I know fans have been able to talk with him at events like the bowling night and things of that nature, but uh, one heck of a human being, too. And, and that's one thing that I think the leadership group, like Sam Carrick, which is another reason why I was considering him for the MVP, that's why this group is so special, and that's why I think they could have taken a run. And honestly, BJ, I think it could have been the Gulls, uh, Tucson, Milwaukee were the top three teams out of the Western Conference. Yeah, I think you're right with those three. And again, on Anthony Stolarz, the only thing I find strange in picking Anthony Stolarz, and there's no reason it's strange, but you don't normally hear goalies get talked up that way. A lot of times goalies get the stigma as being loners, guys you don't talk to during games. So I think that's just another feather in Anthony Stolarz's cap of being such a great goaltender and then being one of those team guys that at the end of the season, he's talked like this. Again, Anthony Stolarz, a great goalie. Well, when we were in Tucson, and, I, and I'll talk about the, the last game, and this is something I wanted to talk about for a while, and I did touch on it when we had our very first goals cast when we went into quarantine, but that game was fantastic to watch. And I think that that game, should the season have continued and we would have rolled on, that would have been one of those look-back moments where the Gauls would have been contending for the Pacific Division title. I, I, I sincerely, and I said this from the beginning, I wanted to speak truthfully on this entire Gauls cast, I really think that the Gauls would have moved forward because of that win. It was such a pivotal moment in, this, in that season. Not having these hockey games is one of the, the, the things as a hockey player, when you don't get to play anymore, that you miss the most is going to the locker room, you know, seeing the guys. So since I've been able to do the radio, and again with you, Andy, the biggest thing I, I miss is going to the games because when you go to a game, even a call a hockey game, you still get that where you wake up. Do you get that feeling on game days? Like when you, you wake up, you know it's the game day. 
You know, do you ever wake up and you almost don't feel that? Or how do you feel on game days? Well, it, it kind of, it's a progression of excitement for me. I feel like, and, and you also know my other routine too, is uh, I'll get a coffee right before I go to the game. And I actually went to the Starbucks about a week or so ago. That's right by the arena. And I even just drove over towards the arena, and I was like, man, I'd love to take a right-hand turn into this place right now. But I had to keep on going on the highway and get back home. And, I mean, that, that's kind of when it starts to, to amp up for me is when you get to that, that late afternoon moment. The intensity, I feel, is starting to rise of what's going to occur. And, I mean, right now, who knows where we'd be. And I, I certainly hope that I'd still be pulling right into the arena. But, uh, you know, th- this, is, this is always the best time, too, because you, you know your team has a chance if you're still playing. Uh, that's one of the greater parts of uh, when you're in it this far and you live in San Diego, California, and you walk out to the locker room or, sorry, out of your place to go to the, the, the stadium and the rink and you're wearing shorts and flip-flops, you know, you, you can't miss that. No, no, not at all. And one thing, too, that's also unfortunate from where we stand right now is there was no final sign-off. I kind of had a hunch once we were in Tucson and I put the headset down that that could be it. But uh, I didn't want to say an official farewell because, well, it wasn't official yet. So now that it is, uh, it's the thing that, that I, I dislike the most is I never really got a chance to say goodbye to the players because that's something that, that I, I like to do every year is they put their, their heart and soul into this game day in and day out of training. And last year I remember I went down to the locker room and, and that was – the second uh, hardest goodbye I've ever had to say to a team. It, not not the second hardest. It's in the top two. I, I don't know what I would pick as number one. But the fact that those guys were so distraught last year, it hurt me because I was watching them every single day. And uh, I felt like a family with those guys. And same as this year. Like I had the pleasure of meeting guys that we just talked about, like Chris Weidman and Anthony Stolars for the first time. And uh, great human beings, and, and it, it's just unfortunate that I didn't get to say a face-to-face goodbye to these guys because they meant a lot to me and especially to the community too. I mean, with Weidman's Warriors, the fact that he was able to get out in the community and reach out to the military, something that's near and dear to his heart. I mean, it, it's a good culture that's been built here in San Diego. It is, and you're right. Anytime you get to be a part of a hockey team, you know, you become family. And the farther you go down the line, the closer you become, you know, and you even talked about it being the radio guy and the team and getting to know those guys pretty special feeling i even remember back when i played for the gulls there was chris Ello. he was the radio guy and i still remember and i still talk to him to this day yeah it's always a lifelong bond that you're forming with guys and i i have a little special shine in my heart for chris weidman just because he's a st louis native so i i know i'll see him again one of these days and uh a lot with these other guys too even if they do go on to other teams i mean we were fortunate enough to get Ben Street and Jacob Magna, former Gulls, to talk about the 4 OT game on a Gulls Rewind. And that just goes to show their personality, that they're willing to do that and, and relive a good moment, too. And, boy, that would have been as much as taxing it was for that 4 OT game, BJ. I would love to have one right now. Yeah, I hear you. And that's the tough thing about hockey, and it's just the business of it. And half the season end, like you talked about, some of these guys uh, you and I might not see again or get to see play. Who knows where they're going to play? Or if it's not the NHL, could be the KHL. Who knows where it is? But that's just the way hockey is. And again, when we're back, uh, hopefully we get to see a, a, a crop of guys just as good as these ones. 
Well, there's one other thing, too, that I like to do before signing off. And last year, you weren't alongside me, but it's also just thanking everybody that's involved. So it's something that I've picked up a long time ago. And ironically enough, I picked it up from Kelly Chase, who, when I was interning with the Blues, he was a color commentator. And once their season was done, uh, their broadcaster let him just talk and say a thank you to the fans and air out whatever he wanted to from the season. So that's something that I've done. So, BJ, I'll let you talk with the fans because it's very rare that you get to make some sort of a thank you to the fans. So I'll let you have the floor, and then I'll take it as well after you. Well, I appreciate that, Andy. And, again, the San Diego Gulls fans, uh, in my eyes, I've been lucky to be able a little bit of a, a, a hole in the wall for, you know, about 10 years. But in the past 20 years, I've got to see a lot of Gulls fans. And it's been in 20 years, you see a lot of the same faces. And, you know, I got I to gotta mention uh, losing one of the biggest Gulls fans there, there was just the other day in uh, Steve West. Uh, a big radio uh, host here in San Diego with his passing, people like him that I've gotten to meet. And again, going to the rink for me is a special thing and not being able to see everybody. And like you talked about, Andy, being able to say goodbye and hopefully one day I get to see all those hockey fans again. Thank you, BJ, for your kind words. And I will now segue into my thank yous. And this is actually something that I recorded separately from all of the podcasts, and I've done it probably three or four times. And I like doing this, as I said, every year, and I've never had a pre-planned one. I always uh, jot it down. I remember last year in Chicago, I started jotting down thank yous and who to recognize probably within a hurried four or five minutes. Uh, and I, cause I, I think last year I didn't even realize that the season was going to come to an end until there was about three minutes left in the game or two minutes left in the game. And uh, I like doing these on pure raw emotion. And unfortunately, that's not the case. And I'm trying to find the perfect recording to do it. And uh, hopefully this one is it. So uh, BJ, I want to start with a thank you to you. It's been a pleasure to share the booth with you for yet another season. We've had some great laughs leading up to the game during commercials of games and even sometimes during the course of game. And it's been great analyzing this fantastic team with you for yet another season. And you do a heck of a job. I also want to thank the iHeartRadio company and especially Jeff back in studio. He was the guy in our ear for every single game that was broadcast on the audio network. And uh, he was throwing curveballs sometimes when we were on TV games. And he had no contact with me, but he handled it like a true professional. And he did an excellent job. So a thank you to him and a thank you to the iHeartRadio Network. Also a big thank you to Fox 5 San Diego and Troy Hirsch and also Taylor Felix. Those two did a wonderful job away from the broadcast booth when they were handling sideline and hosting our televised games. And of course, Troy Hirsch was there for even some road games that we had during the course of the year. And he handled it as you all know like a true professional. also want to start thanking some of the San Diego Gulls staff, and there's a lot of them to, to thank. And first, we can start by the inside sales ticket representatives, James, Brandon, Josh, and Megan, and also sales representative Kelsey. The account executives of Andreas, Bill, Aaron, and Cameron. The account executive season ticket sales of Charles, Nick, and Rick. Also to follow up with Tanner, Jesse, Casey, and Nate. Also with the marketing department comprised of Victor, Emily, Jordan, Dominique, 
AJ, Tyler, Rebecca, Dave, and Ryan. The Community Relations Department, which is Melissa, Susanna, and Gabby. The Finance Department of Kyle and Allie. The Corporate Partnership Group of Greg, Mike, Derek, and Brianna. And then the Communications Department with Yulia, Joe, and Steve. And finally, the Hockey Operations Department. You got Justice and Colin, the athletic trainers of Mike and Ryan, the equipment managers of Joey and Ryan, the ones who work the paperwork and behind the scenes, Jeff Gaduti, Julian Redden, of course, Bob Ferguson, the general manager, and the president of Hockey Operations, Bob Murray. A massive thank you to Matt Savant, the president of Business Operations. And of course, Michael Schulman files into that as the CEO of the Gulls. And we cannot forget the great owners, Henry and Susan Samueli. Not only a thank you to what they've done this past season, but also a thank you to what they did during the pandemic. Making sure that the San Diego Gulls, the Anaheim Ducks, and, and any employee that they have is taken care of in the right manner. And they were one of the first owners to set foot forward, not once, but twice. And even to part-timers, ushers, arena staff, thank you for what you have done. I thank you to the players. I feel as if they deserved a better fate for what they did this year. But we are where we are. And that is what it is. And it was a darn shame that I haven't been able to say this to their faces because they put on a great entertaining show this year for us. But to them, it was hard work day in and day out. And there was a lot of laughs that were heard on the bus. There was a lot of good stories, but a lot of good brotherhood shared between those guys. So thank you for the hard work that you put in this season and I really do appreciate it. And I know that my last thank you, the fans appreciate what you did, players. But fans, you are my last thank you. And I always wind up the season with a thank you to you for what you have done day in and day out as well. Supporting the goals, putting your hard-earned dollars towards the team, wearing hats, shirts, jerseys going and getting the, the giveaways and wearing those out in the community, your support with conversations to other people, your support with tickets alone, the fact that you go to our corporate partners and you spend your hard-earned dollar with them, the fact that you are dedicated to take interests, and the players, myself, the front office, and make sure that we are all good just on a day-to-day -day basis. I've had some fans that reached out to me during the pandemic and just checking in. And that means so much to me. We are all a family here in San Diego. And I really appreciate what you have done to keep this organization one of the best, if not the best, American Hockey League organization. And that makes you the best American Hockey League fans. For everyone with the San Diego Gauls organization, one final time, my name is Andy Zilch. Thank you for the 2019-2020 season. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry, we were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Ch -ch 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 -ch
Chumba. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.